Good morning, church family. What a joy to hear you lift your voices in praise and adoration and confession to our triune God. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, as we continue to make our way through this revelation of God to us, His people. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our habit to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books, for we believe that God has spoken through His Word, and if we want to know who is God, we must know Him through His Word, through His Word. And so we spend time reading and teaching and preaching God's Word. Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, here is an interesting story in Israel's journey from captivity, enslavement, to freedom, to salvation. You've read this narrative over the course of the last several weeks together, and it's been one of a journey. The nation of Israel, they've come out of the land of Egypt. They are now in the wilderness, and what have they been doing while they're in the wilderness? Oh, we've not received many reports of them being overly joyful, have we? I quipped the other day, we knew that they were a group of Baptists, for they were just grumbling everywhere they went, right? So we come to this text, and this is, <clears throat> this text is a new experience for Israel. This is a first encounter for the nation of Israel. They're going to have an experience with God that they've not had before. So our text reads, beginning in Exodus chapter 17, verse 18, in this way, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it, while Aaron and Ur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And notice what the Bible says in verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We have a number of firsts here in this text of Scripture. The 
First we see is that Israel is going to go into battle. Now put yourself in a position for a moment of ancient Israel. You know a little bit of what battle is like. You've been enslaved down in, in Egypt. Of course, you've seen the weaponry of the nation of, of Egypt. You know how mighty and powerful they are. Of course, in the back of Israel's mind would also be their march to freedom. And as they stood there at the precipice of the Red Sea, they turned around and looked behind them. And behold, the Egyptian what? army. The Egyptian army was after the nation of Israel. They know about warfare. They know what warfare does. But we finally come to this narrative and we see in this text of scripture that Israel is actually going to be engaged now in warfare. But we not only see Israel being engaged in warfare, we also see some names that we've not been accustomed to seeing up to this point. One of those names is Joshua. And you know the narrative that will play out. Joshua will, will play an important role now. Joshua will play an important role even in the rest of the wilderness wandering, but ultimately, Joshua will be the one who ends up leading the nation of Israel after Moses dies. Thank you, Anna. We also see the name of Ur. We don't know much about Ur, or if this is the same Ur that we see appearing throughout uh, other sections of the text of scriptures, but we see a collection of people who are going to come alongside Moses and participate with Moses. But we also see some familiar items or names in this story. For example, we have now grown accustomed to seeing Moses with his staff. And what do you remember about Moses and his staff? What happens when Moses has that staff? God ends up doing miraculous things. We see God himself at work. We see God himself making provision for the nation of Israel. We see God through the staff displaying his presence before his people. So there are some new things in this narrative, but there are some things that we are accustomed to. Israel, the Bible tells us in verse 8, is going to engage in a battle with Amalek. Now, we know through the rest of the Pentateuch that the Amalekites are going to pose problems for the nation of Israel. In fact, it's going to be an engagement with the nation of Israel that is ultimately going, with the Amalekites, that's ultimately going to reveal their distrust in the Lord and lead to Moses and a generation of people having to wander in the wilderness for a period of time. In fact, look with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Moses in the concluding narrative is going to tell us something about the Amalekites and 
Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18. Hear what the Lord says. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were what? Faint and weary. He cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. And what was the major problem? He did not fear God. Now Moses is recounting here of what Amalek has done in Deuteronomy chapter 25 is language that takes us all the way back to the beginning of this narrative of Israel down in, in Egypt. For when Israel cries out to God in Exodus chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Israel was what? They were a weary people. The Egyptians had wore down the Israelites. And what God is ultimately saying to the nation of Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 25 is, in some measurable way, what took place down in Egypt and what took place with Amalek is in a similar way. It has wearied the nation of Israel. He took advantage of the nation of Israel. Why did he take advantage of the nation of Israel? We're not sure. But we do know some things about this site. Look what the Bible says they are there in Rephidim. We've seen this name appear before. Clearly a place, an oasis. It's a place that has water where God is providing for the nation of Israel. And so perhaps Amalek thinks that the nation of Israel poses problems for his watering source. Maybe he thinks, wait a minute, if if this group of people uses up all the water, how in the world am am I going to feed and, and take care of all my people and all of our animals? Perhaps... Amalek was concerned. We don't have any evidence at this point. In fact, the evidence points in the direct opposite that Israel was in any way a a warring group of people. They were not expecting what has taken place in this text of Scripture. In fact, look what the Bible says in verse 9. Moses had to say to Joshua, go choose some men for us and go out and fight Amalek Joshua is going to serve somewhat as a judge of character quickly for the nation of Israel. He has until tomorrow to ready them for warfare. And if we've not read ahead in the narrative, we would suppose that the narrative of Israel, who has no weapons that we know of, or if they do, they're minimal at best, Uh, Israel, a group that's not trained in warfare, and Amalek over here who clearly has an army. He's going to have weaponry. Who's going to win the battle? From a worldly standpoint, it's a no-brainer. Amalek will clearly bring about defeat against the Israelis. 
But we see this symbol and we know that God is up to something. What does Moses say he's going to bring? Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with what? The staff of whom? God. We've already seen how this staff is functioning in the life of ancient Israel. It's serving as a sign of God's power. It serves as a sign of God's judgment. It serves as a sign of God's very presence. So whatever fear might be taking place in the heart of of Joshua and the men, the text of Scripture is seeking to remind us that whatever fear they have, God is going to be present. God is going to do what God has been doing for the nation of Israel. God is going to show his might and his power and his judgment and his presence for his people in this moment. And look what happens. They go to battle. The Bible tells us when Moses held his hands up, Joshua was successful. And when Moses lowered his hands down out of, out of weakness, then it appeared as though Amalek began to strengthen and, and win a few battles in this day war. And so Moses' friends, they're smart engineers. They've been working down at Exxon and Worley for a couple of years. They know what they're doing, right? So they come up with an engineering plan. We're going to set Moses on a rock, and we're going to uh, sustain his arms up into the, into the sky. And look what the Bible tells us there at the very end of verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. God is yet again, through a different set of circumstances, seeking to weave into the very heart and psyche of ancient Israel a truth that he wanted them to know that they forgot over and over and over and over again. God was reminding the nation of Israel, you are my people and I will protect you. We read at the very beginning of our time of worship today, the narrative from Genesis chapter 12, at the very beginning of God's relationship with Abram, through whom he would create the nation of Israel, God gives his promise to Abram and by extension to his people. Do you remember what that promise of God was? Hey, Abram, everybody that blesses you, guess what I will do? I'm going to bless you. And Abram, everyone that curses you, what am I going to do? I will curse you. See, friends, what God is showing us is he is always faithful to his word. Friend, we face moments in life, let's just be honest, when we fear We face moments of fear through health diagnoses. 
We face moments of fear, perhaps when our, our job is on the line. We face moments of fear when we are in that car accident and we're not quite sure how it's going to play out. We see the destruction of what's taking place even as we gather this morning in Israel. And those moments of warfare can sow fear into our hearts and lives. But you know what God is doing through this text? He is reminding His people that He is always faithful to His Word. So why this fear and unbelief? Why are we prone like the nation of Israel to be people when we face difficult circumstances that we distrust God, that we complain, that we are fearful, that it overwhelms us? from time to time. Even though God, at the very beginning of his relationship with the nation of Israel through Abram, gave them the very promise. In other words, Israel, when Amalek came before them, they should have really kind of laughed at him and said, ha, okay, knock yourself out, buddy. We know what God will do for us. We've already seen what God has been doing. And look what God does for the nation of Israel. He's going to lay down another marker for them. He's going to lay down another milestone for them. He's going to lay down another point for them so that they might be reminded yet again of God's goodness and kindness toward them. How does he do it? The Lord said to Moses, write this down in your journal, buddy. Now what journal could Moses have been writing, you suspect? What narrative, perhaps, what narrative could Moses be writing that God would use at a later time as a word of remembering for the nation of Israel? Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out of the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Friends, perhaps... What God is saying to Moses in terms of writing is exactly what you and I are reading to this day. Perhaps what God is, is instructing Moses to write down is exactly what we hold in our hands today as the Bible. For like the nation of Israel, we too need this story to be reminded that God is the one who is always faithful to His Word. And so we hold in our hands today, perhaps, that canon of God's revelation so that today, at this moment, in our struggles, in our temptations, in our weaknesses, 
we might be reminded of God's faithfulness to his people throughout his generation, his generations of dealing with his people. But God not only says to Moses, write it down, God also gives them a sign. So God says to to Moses, hey Moses, I want you to write something down that will be for future generations, so that future generations might be reminded of who I am and what I've done, but Moses, I also want to give you something else that will serve as a daily reminder for the nation of Israel of exactly who I am and what I've done. And look what God does. Moses built an altar. And he calls the name of that altar, the Lord is my banner. Saying, now look at the translation. Some of you are reading from the King James. Some of you from the NASB. Some of you from the NIV. A large collection of us from the ESV. And you'll hear some of the differences in these translations. And most of your Bible probably has a number beside this phrase. Uh, for it is somewhat of a difficult translation of exactly what God is saying here. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. And some of your Bibles doesn't read throne, it reads, it reads banner. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What is happening in the narrative of this story? A pastor, should, should I, when I face struggles, should I get a collection of friends and go out in the backyard and just hold my hands up in the air and when they grow weary have someone come alongside me and hold my hands up? Maybe. If you do so, take a picture and tweet about it. We'd like to know. I think ultimately what the Lord has given us here is an image of Moses' trust in the Lord demonstrated through this act, but how you and I will see this played out in our lives is through prayer. How do you and I best demonstrate our trust in the Lord? It's not by going out in your backyard and raising your hands to the Lord, right? It's not by getting a collection of friends and helping them help you hold your hands up in the Lord. How do we demonstrate our faith and our hope and our trust? How do we communicate that trust to the Lord? Through prayer. And I'd like to make a brief case to you this morning that ultimately I think this image of what we're getting in this text of Scripture is Moses doing exactly that. That Moses is ultimately casting himself before the Lord in a cry and a plea and saying, Lord, if you don't act, if you don't respond, if you don't come through, we are absolutely, completely, totally destroyed. And I'd like to make a brief case for that using this phrase here at the end of verse 16, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. For sure, in the Hebrew text, this word throne that we know in our English Bibles is there in the Hebrew text. A throne is an image of what? It's an image of of power. 
But we also know that God is in the heavens and, and God sits in the heavens upon what? A throne. And think of it in terms of the book of Hebrews. We've been studying Hebrews as a church through Sunday school. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, of the Lord. How do we boldly approach that throne upon which God sits? We do that through prayer. So this image of throne is a place that we would anticipate seeing God seated. It's a place upon which we would anticipate the faithful God's people going before to cast their care and their burdens, a, a throne. But the throne is about the only thing that scholars are certain occurs here in this rendering of this text of Scripture, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Whose hand? When Moses says, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, Whose hand? Is he talking about Moses' hand? Perhaps in this text of Scripture, he's talking about the hand of God. Perhaps it's an image here that displays, and no doubt it is, this is true, but perhaps it's this language and this text of Scripture, a, a hand upon the throne is, is an image of, of God's hand and God's hand in judgment against Amalek. But perhaps, due to the preposition that we read in this text, a hand upon, that preposition that occurs in our Hebrew Bibles can indeed mean upon or up to, but can, it can also mean against. So perhaps what the Lord is imaging here for the nation of Israel is that Amalek has placed his hand upon the throne of God in, in rebellion against God and warfare against God. And what we see God doing in this case is pouring out his judgment on the nation of Israel and doing so because Moses has taken the plea of God's people before the Lord in prayer. Remember Ephesians chapter 6 when the Apostle Paul is given to us the armor of God. How does Paul instruct us in, this, in these images about this armor of the Lord? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 11. We have the command to put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. And then he starts listing what this, what this armor is really all about. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? Put on the belt of, of truth. 
It's images that we would anticipate a soldier in antiquity being prepared with in order to rightly battle against an enemy. But look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, Paul says, friends, after you've been thoroughly prepared, after you put on all the armor that God has for you for battle, at that moment when you think you're fully dressed and you're ready to step out and take the devil head on, pray. And keep on praying. And pray some more. And pray at all times. So as we think of the battle in which you and I are engaged in, Moses reminds us that the way, the greatest way in which we can cast and show our dependence upon God in those moments is when we bow before him in prayer, communicating our greatest need in life is him. But notice what this text also says. It says that they raised a banner before the Lord. The Lord is my banner. That this would serve as a visual sign in the life of the nation of Israel of exactly what God is doing. So not only is Moses demonstrating his trust in the Lord through prayer, but God is responding back to Moses and saying to Moses, I'm also going to demonstrate my forever presence among you. The Lord is my banner. How is God our banner today? What is a banner? What was a banner used for in a moment like this, in a, in a moment of, of warfare? It was used as a symbol of identity. Everybody knew where the commander was. Everybody knew whose team, the collection of people were that were around this banner. They, they knew who they were pulling for. That banner served as an image of readiness for warfare. It was, it was something to which the community could look to and have a sense of, of confidence that, yes, we can do this. And friends, God has lifted that same banner before you and me through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus was lifted upon that cross of Calvary. And Jesus on the cross is our banner. For those who by faith have trusted in Christ, He becomes our identity. We know who we are not because of us. We know who we are not because of any worth in and of ourselves. We know who we are because of who He, because of who he is. He is our identity but he's also 
that constant reminder that is always with us. For Jesus would tell us at the end of the Great Commission, I am with you. How? Always. God has raised in our midst. God has raised among our eyes a banner. A banner in Jesus that gives us our identity, that gives us confidence, that reminds us we are all on the same team, that reminds us he is indeed always with us, reminds us that there is nothing that can stop the march of the advancement of the kingdom of God through God's people as they faithfully daily communicate their trust and their hope in King Jesus. To what banner are you looking this morning, friend? When you face those moments of trial and difficulty and uncertainty in your life, are you on Team Jesus, if you will? Have you look to that one who has been raised on your behalf, who through his substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary paid for the debt of your sin? If not, would you hear the text of Scripture? Would you look to Jesus? Would you confess Jesus as, as Lord? Would you believe in him? And for those of us who have, would you look to him daily? as your banner, as your identity, as your hope, and would you daily communicate that through prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word to us. We thank you that through Christ, you, God, remind us of who we are, that through Christ, Lord, you have called us and to relationship with you. God, this morning we humbly bow before you as your people. Like Moses saying to you, God, we desperately need you. We need your work in our lives. We need your presence. We need your word. We need you, God, to sustain our families. We need you, God, to sustain our, our church. We need you, God, to sustain our lives. We need you, God, to bring salvation to our children and to our community. Would you take a moment where you're seated this morning, friend, and would you confess your need to the Lord? of him. Would you express to him your dependence upon him? Would you ask him for his wisdom as you seek to lead your family? 
Would you ask him for his wisdom as you seek to deal with a difficult situation at work? Friend, if you've never trusted in the person of Christ, Jesus is not your Savior and Lord this morning. Your greatest need is not right relationships at work or at home. Your greatest need this morning is to know Christ. Would you express to Him that you are a sinner this morning? That your sin has separated you from God? Would you ask him to forgive you of that sin and to save you? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word through singing a a hymn of confession together. As we stand and confess that God is our banner of salvation, If you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. It would be perfectly fine for you to come up to one of us, and we'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you'd like for one of us just to pray with you, that your faith in God might be strengthened. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we stand now and respond to you, we ask that our responses might be pleasing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing? God has reached for me, pulled me from the raging sea, and I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the of his word 
and the spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need, when I am lost, when I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid, and the seated. We continue to worship through a time of prayer, and you'll notice in our worship guides this week that we'll be praying for the country 